Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hoopstradamus podcast. I'm Adam Shelf, who joined by Abbas Dahadwala and Gabriel Wilkins. Triangle offense tonight. How you guys doing? Feeling good, feeling great. Blessing to be here. Uh, All-Star weekend. Don't get no better. You know, it's always cool to have shows like these where you can reflect and look inside of um, what's all went down over the course of the first half as you enter into what we all know is the home stretch of the season in the playoffs where, you know, all the marbles are on the line. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well as well. Uh, nice to see a, a Chicago Bull back in the All-Star game for the first time in four years. Yeah. Uh, it's It's been a long break. <laughs> and uh, it's good to good to actually have a competitive team uh, three, two months into the season. It feels good. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's it's like that, you said. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen often in Chicago. <laughs> Billy the kid, man, getting the job done. <laughs> uh and I'll tell you what, folks, this is kind of like the halftime report, you know, the halftime report on the season. That's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about uh some of the big surprises, some of the disappointments. We're talking about the unique situation of the season that is having a COVID uh season, you know. There's no fans. There's been a lot of good luck. There's been some bad luck. We're going to get into that. We're, and, of course, we're going to get into our conference finals predictions, talk about some award front runners, uh, the all-star game. Pretty much checking the pulse right now on what has, despite all odds, been a really entertaining, really fun season. And uh, my big takeaway so far on the season is the competitive balance in the NBA right now is just incredible. You know, you can have the Warriors upset by – the Hornets, you know, you can have a team like the Warriors get off to a slow start. You know, you can have the Pistons upset the Celtics. Uh, it really is a, a league right now where it's extremely competitive and you're seeing a lot of these dark horses emerge from the shadows, uh, especially out east. And so we're going to have a, a ton uh, to get to. Uh, let's start with biggest surprises. boss. I'm passing you the ball. Uh, biggest surprises. I mean, one of mine has got to be the Utah, the Utah Jazz, because I don't think anybody saw them being the you know, having the best record in the league at this this point in the season. And you know, the other one is the team right behind them, the Phoenix Suns. I mean, I I had a feeling they were going to be good, but um, I mean, yeah, you can say the Lakers and Clippers have struggled a little bit because of injuries and and COVID issues and all that. But um, Phoenix is doing it with an amazing defense, an offense that's heating up. Devin Booker is an all-star. Uh, Chris Paul is an all-star. I mean, it's exactly what they what they expected when they got Chris Paul. And but I, I did not see them being the you know the second seed halfway through the season. Uh, in, it, I'm I will say this isn't a surprise, but it's one that um, I mean I don't think people expected the Hawks to be as bad as they are right now, uh, and it's one that gives me joy. Yeah. Because I hate Atlanta. <laughs> I, 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 was, I, I wasn't a fan of some of the moves they made. I feel like they, they overloaded on a few positions with really good players. And then like people like Gallinari is like, you know, they're, they're making this guy play small forward again a little bit where he hasn't been in, in, in a long time. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just not a big fan of Atlanta. And, you know, Trey has done the full, the full heel turn. Uh, every, everybody seems to hate him now because <laughs> he's, uh, you know, he's fishing for fouls more than anybody, jumping into people and whatnot. So uh, I, I do like how Atlanta is doing right now. I do like that the Bulls have a better record than them. 
Mm, I, I believe the German term is schadenfreude, you know, taking pleasure <laughs> in someone else's pain. <laughs> you don't want to see Atlanta flourish, man. You know, Atlanta no. got a beautiful city, man. You know, I miss I miss when they was in the playoffs. They used to have a lot of, uh, you know, cool fans in the building and so forth. Yeah, no, Atlanta can suck forever. I don't care. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm fine with Atlanta not being good. I'm I, I don't need I don't need any more teams in the bottom four of the East. That, that that's a spot they're taking from the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> you know all these teams: Indiana, Atlanta, Washington, Charlotte. Dude, if they're bad, that's good for us. <laughs> you know, as I, as a very biased fan. Yeah, I see. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, man, I I was uh, all in on the Hawks. Going into the season, uh, I do believe in their roster construction, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that they're going to be a lot better in the second half of the season. Uh, you know, this was kind of a make or break time for Lloyd Pierce, and I'm not surprised he got the axe because when you look at the personnel on that team, and then uh, you, right now they're 16 and 20 with uh, two consecutive wins. Um, drawn a serious blank right now the yeah nate mcmillan nate mcmillan taking him over right now and getting two consecutive wins and so they're right in the mix at 16 and 20 right now um at the time we're recording this at the all-star break and i do think that they're going to continue to improve there because uh they you know talking about unlucky teams they're definitely one of them uh they've been stricken with injuries throughout the year but honestly they got a lot of pretty good dudes you know uh clint capella has had some absolute monster games this season uh didn't he have that qu- quadruple double gabriel <laughs> yeah yeah i i don't think he had a quad but he had he had a triple double he had like 10 blocks okay yeah yeah, yeah. 10 yeah. blocks of the game and that was like that hadn't been done in a long time in the nba but when yeah. i look at atlanta I, I i believe that they're gonna make a move at the deadline Okay. For, for a two guard, and I can see them seeking to shake some things up, especially with McMillan um, running the show over there. I thought Lloyd Pierce kind of got an unfair shake a little bit because that's a yeah. team that's been decimated by injuries as well. Right. Like uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, you know, he he was dealing with some issues. Gallinari was hurt. You know, John Collins was in and out in, in some nights. Clint Capella as well. Yeah. That, Unit has even Rajon Rondo like that unit has yet to get healthy. Yeah, um, Chris and, Dunn and still he, hasn't he, played he, all year. Jeez, Ooh. Chris Dunn still hasn't played all year, and that's a that's a good defensive guy that they need. And I then, mean, and, I, and, I agree and that, that he got a that draft pick yeah. from USC. So who was going to be a big presence at the five spot defensively for them? So they that that's a team right now. I, I feel like it's to be continued. And, and determine rather they mm-hmm. have of course they got some solid young pieces there with, with Trey and John Collins whether or not he remains on the team past the trade deadline may be seen but I believe we need to be more patient with young teams such as Atlanta we put so much pressure on them immediately and we're not even considering the fact that these guys haven't even played in the playoffs I think the only two guys on their roster that have ever been in the playoffs are Capella and Ronda and Gallinari. And Gallinari. Yeah, Gallinari. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I mean honestly, I, I think Lloyd Pierce. Tony Pierce Snell still deal, bopping man. around there. <laughs> Pierce yeah, got a tough but, – it was a tough deal. Like, I mean, yeah. dude, you 
they they point to the record in previous seasons, but it's like, dude, did, look at the Hawks the last two seasons. This is some of the worst rosters in the world. Like, what are you going to do with that type of a roster? Yeah. So it's like, oh, you're doing badly in your first ro- year with a good with a real team. But like, where's your team? Everybody's hurt. Nobody's playing. Hunter is out too. He was yep. having a breakout season. He got hurt too. Who started? They don't even have a small forward that's still healthy. Who the heck is going to? Who, who's playing? Who's who's guarding these? You know these threes that you have to deal with. Every Especially single night, there's a guy who can who can drop 20, 30 on you from the from the two and the three spot, and you have nobody to, nobody to guard them. You already have to deal with Trey not being a great defender. It's like I, I don't I don't really get the. I know they they said there were some locker room issues between the players and the coach, but I still feel like he got a he, it was a tough break, really tough break for him. It's like two and a half wasted years. <laughs> you weren't really to get, able to get anything done those first two years in Atlanta. I do think Nate McMillan is a proven coach, though, and I was surprised when he got the axe in Indiana, honestly. Uh, and so I think that if there's somebody who can turn it around, like that's a that's a damn good interim coach. You know, that's not like some guy who's a lifetime assistant, you know, some Jim Boylan. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's a guy who's who's uh, he proved himself in Portland. He did a really good job in Indiana. And apparently like really good job wasn't good enough for the Pacers. But I think if I think having him at the helm uh, might give them a fresh voice in the locker room and a chance to turn things around. And especially because, you know, if, if they're in the West, this is a completely different conversation. But, you know, they're half a game behind the Pacers. They're a game behind Chicago, uh, you know, like and there's still teams like the Knicks and the Hornets who are way up in the mix right now. But, you know, Atlanta's only two and a half games behind New York. Like it's, it's not crazy to think that even though the Knicks are, you know, above 500 right now that like thing, a lot can happen in a few months. And so, but I, I, I agree with you, Abbas. Uh, I would, I would call them a bit of a disappointment so far. And that's a surprise, but I also want to circle back to what you were saying about the Utah jazz, because well, I was, I'm surprised to see how good they are doing. This is a team I also thought was going to be uh, having a bit of a breakout year. And I think a lot of that had to do with Quinn Snyder's commitment to double down on the three-point shot. This is a team that had the highest catch-and-shoot three-point percentage in the NBA last year. And right now, they are leading the league in uh, three points put up a game. And uh, I think the system's just brilliant in how it matches with the personnel. Uh, last year, you didn't have a Mike, healthy Mike Conley until the bubble. You got a healthy Mike Conley who's finally getting a shot at his first uh, all-star game. And then, uh, you know, it's interesting because I wouldn't say they necessarily have a true superstar. They have two really damn good players and uh, Rody Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and you can make a case for either one being the best player, completely different animals, right? But they have two really good players. Uh, they're surrounded by shooting. And uh, despite being a team that's taking that many uh, shots per game from three, it's not like the Houston Rockets of old where, like, because of how many they were taking, it was kind of lower on the percentage, right? Like, they're first in the league taking 43 threes a game, and they're shooting 39-8 from three which is just astounding when you're shooting at that kind of volume. And so I feel like this is a team that's really found their identity this year. 
And I just love to see it because I've always had a lot of respect for how they move the basketball, a lot of respect for Quinn Snyder. And I do think that they're a legit contender. I think they might be a team that's going to be uh, sniffing at the finals when it, when it's all said and done. I think whether or not they're a legitimate contender remains to be seen. Granted, I do give them a hell of a lot of credit for the work that they've been able to put in through the first half of the regular season. I watched on league pass, uh, replay rather, when they played in Philadelphia, their last game prior to the All-Star break. And they couldn't miss a single shot, even when the Sixers were money on defensive rotations and, and staying connected to shooters. Donovich and Ingles were having, you know, terrific nights. Donovan Mitchell as well. They are a very potent offensive bunch, but I'm interested in seeing how that translates and carries over when the game slows down and it has to be executed within the half-court sets. Okay. Interesting. So do you think it's kind of like maybe going to be a Tom Thibodeau bowl situation where it's like they might wind up with the best record in the league, but they kind of have LeBron James waiting for him in the conference finals. You know, do you think it's going to kind of be like that where there's a certain cap and they're just a really good regular season team then? I do, although it remains to be seen. And the one benefit I will give Utah, unlike other teams in the Western Conference and the NBA in general, is that they still have fans attending games in the midst of the pandemic. And as we know, that crowd in Utah is one of the best in the league, whether yep. it's a full house just two or three thousand at large in attendance. So when they're at home, they're one of the toughest teams to play. They really remind me in a lot of ways, not of Tom Thibodeau's Bulls teams from the early 2010s era, but they remind me more of Mike Budenholzer's version of the 2014-15 Atlanta Hawks in oh, a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. That's a that's yeah, a really I, good take. Honestly, my issues with with Utah in like the playoffs is who who's guarding LeBron? I mean, I know Royce O'Neal is like their their guy who they put on 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 those you know those opposing the basically the best player on the other team, but like he hasn't he's never been able to guard those fast point guards. At least from what I've seen. I mean, there was like there was a video of Kyrie Irving destroying him last year. Uh, and honestly, I don't have faith in them being able to slow down, uh, especially like a, a Davis-LeBron duo or even even a Paul George-Kawhi Leonard duo. And if you want to go even further, I don't think they could slow down Chris Paul and Devin Booker for a whole game. I also, you know, you, you need a second guy to score late in the game. And like, look, Clarkson can score. But like if you're leaving Clarkson on the court, who's sitting? Is it it's probably Conley or are you got are you gonna go small? But then if you go small, if the other team has a good three, if it's if it's against the Lakers, LeBron's gonna kill you. So like I, I don't understand who's gonna be that second guy late in the game. I know Bogdanovich has been really good and like his scoring average is a little bit down from his career year last year. But if if they don't have that second guy who can actually stay on the court, unlike Clarkson. I don't know how they're going to hang in these playoff series. I feel like we saw it against Denver too last year where it's like, you know, like Mitchell's going off, but like there's only so much he can do when on the other end of the court, if Murray doesn't hit a shot, Jokic is going to. 
who who's the second guy? Because you, I mean, what you're not going to post up Gobert when you need a bucket unless you're Joel Embiid. Like, who's it going to be? <laughs> and, and that's my number one issue with them, about That's always been my number one issue with Utah, even dating back to the times when I was covering the Houston Rockets and Donovan Mitchell was lighting up the league as a rookie. You always saw that when you sent double teams at him and you and you sent the helper man and you forced guys to, to rotate and, and swing the ball, you, if as a defender on an opposing team, you want Joe Ingles taking that shot. You want Bogdanovich taking that shot. If they hit it, you just live with the results. However, Donovan is going to see a totally different look defensively from teams in the playoffs. And I believe that he will be great as he always has been, and he will improve upon his postseason production. But championships aren't one individual. They're one off of a collective effort. And he's going to need guys to step up, especially on nights when he ain't going to happen. And we all know that every superstar come time in the playoffs, they have some rough nights, at least once or twice in the series. Yeah, and honestly, it always brings me back to the Conley trade. It was like, what if Detroit had made the move and then the alternative was for Utah to get Chris Paul? Obviously, we're giving up more assets. What would Utah be today if it was Chris Paul versus Mike Conley? Because then I feel like they would be – I mean, if you're trading out Mike Conley for Chris Paul, it's win, win, win. Like, how much better would they be both offensively and defensively if it was Chris Paul in Mike Conley's spot? I think that's. I think that would be really interesting. I don't think. I don't know how the money would work. Like if they would have been able to afford Bogdanovich, but like I mean, that starting both lineup with with Chris money. Paul instead of Mike Conley is that'd be something. That'd be that that could have worked if they didn't give Rudy Gobert all of that max money. I believe that definitely could have worked. And Chris Paul is a guy that I definitely would have been seeking a target if I was a Utah Jazz, just for the sole fact that. I know that he has a great relationship with Donovan Mitchell. And those guys played a lot of pickup ball with one another prior to him coming in the league. When he was in Louisville during that offseason leading to the 2017 draft. So that that's definitely a guy that could have helped Utah. And, and think about this, too. Think about the first-year impact that Chris Paul has on NBA teams. We've seen it with the Clippers. We've seen it with Houston. Houston won 65 games his first year there, and you saw it at Oklahoma City last year. So this guy has always been a winner in spite of never winning a championship when it comes to taking teams to the next level and helping young players grow up rather quickly. And you already know he's like a second coach on the floor. And guys in the league, whether they like him or not, you got to respect him because he's been here and done that for over 15-plus years. Well, that sounds like a smooth transition to talk a little bit about the Suns. I do want to say, I'm going to make a strange comparison to the Utah Jazz, all right? Uh, so a lot of times, unfortunately, the last two years I haven't been able to go, but since I was 15 years old, I've gone to almost every uh, Illinois March Madness, the Final Four for high school uh, basketball championships. And every once in a while, there's a team down there that's like, how'd you get here? Like a lot of times it would be like Bennett Academy and they had some like really good players, but it's like they're running against, you know, uh, Whitney Young, you know what I mean? But it was because they, you know, played this unbelievable brand of team basketball. They kept the defense running around, wore them out. 
uh, sometimes could make it a grinded out game and then played lockdown discipline team defense on the other end. And so, where the, like I said, with the Utah Jazz, it's not like they have, you know, some bona fide superstar, but by, by committee, you know, they're third right now. They're, they're the only team in the NBA in top five in uh, offensive points per game and defensive uh, points allowed, right? They're 116.6 points per game right now, 107.8 points allowed. And so that's third on offense, fourth on defense. Like that's just a team that gets it done by committee. Uh, I think health is obviously going to be extremely important for them uh, because they are a little bit fragile just because like if Jordan Clarkson goes out, that's a different team, you know, uh, not to mention they're like big, big stars. But imagine if you have a Bogdanovich in the bubble last year, it's a completely different look. And so I do think that they are going to be that like super, they're going to be a tough out no matter what. Um, but I agree. It's kind of a wait and see thing because, uh, you know, I, I've, it's, it's the Lakers to lose you know, as far as the West goes. Uh, but let's transition. Let's talk about that Phoenix Suns team because that's been one of my favorite teams to watch all year. Uh, Chris Paul, man, like how old is he, 36, 35? And the dude's still doing it. Is As good as he's 35. ever been. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> randomly where the Suns have a ton of trouble is overtime. They just – they just can't get it done in overtime. Um, yeah, let's see. Yeah, they're 0-3 in overtime. And so it's, sometimes I get nervous with them down the stretch. I've seen them kind of like lose games they should have won. But regardless, if it all ended today, they'd be the second seed in the East. Gabriel, this time I'm passing to you. What are you seeing out of the Sun so far? Well, to you know, add on to your point when you say they're 0-3 in overtime, it kind of remind me last year of the Dallas Mavericks when it comes to not knowing how to close out games. I feel like they're learning that on the fly as they go. When they're clicking, they are clicking. However, they also have a lot of mental lapses as well, and I think that's due to the young players that are currently on their roster. Granted, Michael Bridges has had a hell of a season. Granted, Devin Booker has had a hell of a season, as well as Chris Paul the addition of Jay Crowder, a veteran presence who helped Miami get to the finals as a 3 and D wing last year, has Such been invaluable for that bunch, very invaluable. However, you know, when you got young guys who aren't accustomed to playing winning basketball, and for the first time since they probably either been in college or high school, they're playing on a winning – in a winning program. And with, a, and with a head coach that's a leader of men and a, and a point guard that's a floor general and knows how to direct the offense and even call out various sets and patterns defensively. I, I just think over time as the year goes along, they will continue to get better. And you talk about how Utah is a scary out. I think Phoenix is a scary out, especially if they can stay within that top three seed range because in the West, it always comes down to who you match up against. And if they draw a favorable matchup, specifically in the first round, they go into the second round. Like, I know if I was Utah, I wouldn't want to play Phoenix in a best of seven series in a conference semifinal. I would not want to play Phoenix, and I would not want to play L.A. like a boss alluded to, because they have guys 
on the floor, specifically in their backcourt, and Paul and Booker, who can rip your defense into shreds. Especially Booker, if you put him on a block, you know, you you get him caught up in a mismatch with with Mike Conley. Good luck. True, true. Yeah, I mean, the West is it's it's absolutely terrifying this year. You know, um, and some of these teams are just a, a move or two away. Uh, but yeah, like you said, uh, Chris Paul just kind of has that ability to take teams to that next level. And uh, right now they're, they're third in points allowed, only allowing 107 points per game. And uh, honestly, a guy who I think isn't appreciated enough, and this guy isn't necessarily – a huge well yeah i mean he's a huge part of what they do but he's not you know devin booker or chris paul but deandre ayton is really playing the best basketball of his career right now you know 15 and 11 and um a lot of what he gets is just like he's getting for himself whether that's on the offensive glass uh but he's really improved for them and uh I feel like he's almost underrated. He's just not talked about enough, you know, uh, because at this point he's starting to live up to the hype uh, that he w- that was surrounding him when he was at Arizona. I mean, we saw what he did when they played against Chicago, uh, what he did to Wendell Carter. I mean, granted, every big man that Chicago plays makes Wendell Carter look a little foolish. Yeah, but he was I mean, he was he was destroying him. He still he still seems to have trouble against the, you know, like the best big men. But he's getting there. And like I feel like we see it every year. Um, I feel like it always comes back to that draft being so stacked. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's like, oh, they should have taken this guy. They shouldn't this should have taken this guy. But like, I think I still think he's the best fit over there because they need him to be at the top of his game if they want to have any any chance this year. Especially defensively. That's the correct. I I just, I'm very, I I just still can't understand how they maintain this great defense when like Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky play a lot. Uh, That, that, I feel like that, that's, that takes some skill (laughs) getting a good defense with both those guys on the court. Oh man. Yeah. Speaking of Bennett Academy, Frank Kaminsky, you know, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I am glad Frank got to got to go back there though, because that was that was sad to see him. I, I always root for the local guys, whether it's Jalen Brunson, Frank Kaminsky, D Rose, whatever. You know, I'm I'm a root for the Chicago guys, the Chicago land area guys. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, shout out Winfield, Illinois, uh, where I lived for a, a while growing up, but. I'm glad to see him out there. That's like, there's no take in this. You know what I mean? But I'm, I'm glad to see Frank the Tank uh, still still making a, an impact on the league and, and on a very good Phoenix team. And I'm sure he's much happier in Phoenix than he would be uh, in Sacramento. Any other they surprises? Also got my brother, they also got my brother, Jevin Carter, over there uh, okay. from Proviso East, another Illinois guy. Oh, all world. Like, my, my father went to high school with his father. <laughs> Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize Carter was from this Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. yeah, Oak Park. Okay, wow. Yeah, I know his cousin, Keith, very well, who went to Valpo and also was on those Proviso East teams. 
uh, that almost knocked off Simeon during Jabari Parker's junior year. Oh man, and those teams were extremely yeah, really tough. good. Uh, any any other surprise teams you guys want to throw on uh, before we move into disappointments? I'm going to add the San Antonio Spurs, man. Ooh. I mean, they won six out of their last ten. You know, they sitting in seventh place in the West right now with an 18-14 record. You know, DeJounte Murray, he don't really get a lot of acclaim or praise, but this guy's really been coming into his own as of late. Like, you know, he's one of only five players in the league averaging 15 seven boards and five dimes a night outside of LeBron, Giannis, and Kevin Durant. So, you know, that's exclusive company. And almost he's really grown. Yeah, he's really grown, man, as, as a playmaker alongside of DeMar DeRozan. And we all know what he can do defensively, you know, with that wingspan, being a ball hawk in the passing lanes and going out and getting to create an offensive transition alongside of Derrick White when he's healthy. I, I've been very impressed with this bunch. And, and even DeMar DeRozan as well being a – the lead playmaker in San Antonio's offense, sometimes running point guard most nights. I really believe that that's who should have been the guy that replaced Devin Booker on the all-star roster this year down in Atlanta, man. Uh, no disrespect to Mike Conley. You know, he's had a great season, but I've seen Mike Conley have much better season than Memphis. Than yeah. Than he had to get this all-star game. It's because he's he definitely is, the all-star now in yeah. Memphis. They're giving this it to is, him yeah. like, hey, we just got to give him one. Damn. This is not yeah, one I mean, of my comedy. This isn't I, I, one I, I, of his top three. If you deserve it, but DeMar DeRozan's been balling his behind off lately, man, after 20 and 7. Like, I don't see how you turn a guy like that down, especially when he's been able to do the Spurs roster that I'm going to be real. I, I thought they would be a lottery team. Which is crazy to say, you know, last year. Yeah, because they, they, they missed it last year. Correct. They, they did for the first time since the 96, 97 season. Yeah. The, the year David Robinson broke his foot. Mm-hmm. And before that they hadn't missed since I want to say 1987. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is a team that is there every single year, you know, like that's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 30 in the fall. They've missed twice in my life. That's insane. That's <laughs> insane. <laughs> you know, uh, so it's it's weird to call them a surprise, but yeah, man, because it was like, okay, after they missed last year, it's like, all right, what a fun run. It's over. But no, here they are. First in the division, 18 and four, you know, still playing that like next man up Spurs basketball. And uh, I'm going to be honest, I haven't gotten to watch a ton of them this year. Uh, Yo, uh Rest in peace, LaMarcus Aldridge, man. His career, he looks so washed. I, ju- I just dropped him in fantasy he, basketball. Dude, he guys. looks so bad. Like, they, they always – they love with the Spurs. Every time I read anything about the Spurs, they always talk about the fact that when DeRozan and Aldridge play together with that starting lineup, that lineup is awful. That lineup gets destroyed. But then the second they switch out Aldridge for, for Pirtle, it becomes a, like a top-10 lineup. <laughs> they played very well against Brooklyn on Monday night. They all they did. beat the Nets, took them to overtime. That's a team I, I got a chance to catch a couple of their games before the All-Star break, even against New Orleans. I've been watching a lot of the Pelicans lately in Zion, man. Like I said, that, that bunch has really been competitive, surprisingly to me. I, I knew that, you know, I like the young draft pick that they got, Devin Vassell. Uh, I think he's going to be a great wing for them. Lonnie Walker, he's been inconsistent, but he's had some good games, you know, up and down along the way. They gotta, they gotta get Derek White healthy. Derek White's been 
you know, he was hurt, came back, yeah. got COVID. Now he's out again. He was so good. Uh, but yeah, him. dude, Aldridge, they got to buy out Aldridge. Let him go sit on the bench in Portland. <laughs> Let him go where, he, where, where they want him. Because uh, I don't think anybody wants him on the court in, in San Antonio. They got he some is, decisions to effective. make, though. They got some decisions to make, though, man. Because, like, they got a couple of guys on expiring contracts who they could have easily sought to flip it the deadline. But now, you know, you're sitting seventh in the West, 18 and 14. You know, you got a shot to go after the playoffs. And you know Pop isn't a coach that, that seeks to think by any means. Even last year when they missed, they weren't seeking to think. They still was playing in the bubble. I, I, I think they're going to try and hold on to it and make it work. Aldridge, yeah, I could see him probably getting bought out of their move. They, I mean, look, they could, they, get something get good for, they could get something good for DeRozan because I feel like no, there aren't a lot of sellers. And it's like I feel like somebody's going to want somebody like DeRozan because I feel like if, if, you're, if you need another scorer and you're trying to contend, I feel like people will be willing uh, to give up at least an asset or two for someone like DeRozan. Well, Popovich is going to be tips. He's thinking, let's win the championship. <laughs> like, he's not backing with De- down. With, with DeMar DeRozan as your best player? <laughs> hey, man, you don't want to be in the mind of Greg Popovich. It's a dark place. But... <laughs> hey, the Raptors tried that a lot. <laughs> hey, there's no back down in his mind, though. You know, he's not thinking of DeMar DeRozan as an asset. He's thinking of him as like, hey, he's, he's the leader. Like, let's go. There, there's no quitting that franchise, you know? And that's that's why they're at where they're at because they believe in themselves, you know. Like, well, the Marcus Aldridge, he might be a Celtic in a few months, you know. We'll see, we'll see. You know, there's some teams he might be able to help out, but yeah, man, I I tried to because I picked him up on waivers and fantasy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like the Marcus Aldridge, like that's a solid guy to have. And then I'm like, no, he's no, it's not. He's when he is playing, he's bad, <laughs> or maybe it's 20 minutes a game. But yeah, his it looks like it might be he'll be one of those dudes. He's gonna go into David West mode. Like he's gonna be a, a key asset I, on a contender. I hope he can play defense well enough to be in the David West role. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Maybe even David I, West I think was when more he says, mobile. I think when Adam says David West, I think he's referring to him like green chasing on the back nine. Remember, you know, David okay, West, yeah. last yeah, couple years, West. he was in San Antonio, and then he went to Golden State after he fell short in San Antonio, got a couple he championships could, he could on, get the on the court, though. It doesn't look like Aldridge is... He was on the court, but do you remember when he got geared up on the pick and roll by um, Chris Paul, and he dropped into like a split? Ah, uh, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that was probably the moment where, no disrespect to David Woods if you listening, but that's probably the moment where he probably knew, I got to go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to go home. Yeah, I got to go home. <laughs> All right. I'm moving to uh, disappointments. This team's really turning around, uh, and it ties right into COVID luck because this team's been, man, you take Jimmy Butler off the Miami Heat and they lose their soul. Uh, they've really turned it around. They're 18 and 18 right now. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Jimmy Butler's only played 22 games for this squad. Uh, Goran Dragic only played 22 games for this squad. Avery Bradley's only played 10 games for this squad. And um, this is a team I was kind of hoping might be – it sounds like Blake Griffin isn't going to the Nets, but I was thinking uh, maybe he could really uh, help fill that void because they're. I feel like they're really missing Jay Crowder. Uh, but the Miami Heat, man, I don't 
quite want to call them a disappointment because they're starting to get it together. And I do think that they're going to continue to climb. Uh, and right now they're seven of the last 10 win uh, games or wins. Uh, they, it, it, at one point in the season though, were pretty much in the basement. I do think they're going to continue to turn it around, but Man, talk about a shaky start for the defending champs of the, the Eastern Conference. And they, they like, I mean, it's the same exact team, too. So, like, you know, they were just playing in, in October, and they barely got a month and a half off before they had to get back to it. So I think it was expected, but then the COVID issues didn't help. I mean, they've already had injuries, too, a lot of injuries, not COVID-related ones. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know is Avery Bradley even going to be back after the all-star break when what's his timetable uh I feel like I, I feel like we were also expecting like a maybe like a little like more of like a star jump for Adebayo but it's like he didn't even have a he didn't have an off season to work on his stuff That's a good half point. the league half the league has been sitting around since uh what since March last year so it's like these guys who are improving a lot of them had the time to improve out of bio, it's like, what? Well, what did you do in your off season? You're probably still sore from from the playoff run in yeah. the beginning of December. Yeah, and and Jimmy Butler, I feel like he was on. <laughs> he probably started walking again in December. We saw him limping off, but uh, yeah, Avery Bradley, he's out through February. It, obviously, it's March now, so whatever that means, that's what I'm seeing uh, most recently. Uh, I always check on Roto, you know, so. We'll see, man. I mean, like I said, I think they're going to continue to turn it around because it's amazing how much that identity uh, changes. Obviously, Jimmy Butler's an elite playmaker for that team. And I think that's that's why I kind of thought Blake Griffin was going to be a good fit because Blake Griffin's really evolved into a really good passer. Uh, but they need their primary point guard out there, and that is Jimmy Butler. Like, Goran Dragic is your traditional guy for sure, but when you look at, you know, per-game statistics – Jimmy Butler puts up the point guard assist numbers and, and no one else on that team is really that close. Jimmy Butler's, you know, leading the team with just under eight a game and then it's Bam out of bio, but that's a team that moves the ball so well uh, by committee. I do want to give a, a shout out to Max Struess though. Like talk about surprises. Max Struess, baby. Max Struess, man. He's had to step up. He's had to step up in the wake of all the injuries they've had. But that's one thing about Miami, man. When your number is called, you know, they, they got a real big thing down there about conditioning and making sure that you stay in shape and know your role. And when you, like I said, when your number's called, you got to be ready out there to come in and play. Because you never know if you're going to get the game again with them with all the guys that they have. And, you know, we we, we – Seen the incident with like the rise and the fall of Dion Waiters. They they they're real serious about their culture that they talk about down there. But I, I think when I look at the Heat, and I, I think they were a beneficiary of being down in the bubble, you know, where a lot of the games had like a pro am pickup style feel, so to speak. And, you know, teams start missing shots. Teams, you know, start fail, you know, they fail to um rotate, you know, properly on defensive rotations and you make them pay, you, you start hitting a couple shots, you get in your groove, and you become a tough team to beat, you know, and they were kind of like that one team that you see, you know, the program in the summer that just came out of nowhere and, you know, was kicking the top teams behind because they rallied together and they came together at the right time. But mm-hmm. as you said, boss, you know, 
being down one of the last two teams standing and left in the bubble and not having that much of an offseason to work with at all, about a month and a half, which I'm pretty sure Jimmy Butler was using to recover as many minutes as he played in the finals and, and Bam Adebayo himself already having the, the nicks and bruises that he went through in the Eastern Conference Finals against Boston. I, I mean, I, I'm not too surprised to see what I've seen from Miami. Granted, I still think they're a playoff team, but last year was just one of those years where everything that could go right for them did. And I think that's going to be very tough for them to repeat this year, especially considering, you know, the loss of Jay Crowder and a, and a couple of other key pieces. Yeah. That and they the East had got better. East got yeah. I still think, look, if, if, if they want to, they, they should be looking to, I mean, I feel like they're always looking, but they need to get a third, another guy. Um, I know there was a lot. Of, there was like Kyle Lowry to Miami stuff. If you're not giving up a ton, why not? Like that could be really helpful for the Heat. Uh, even even DeRozan, if if the Spurs feel like like they're going to give up on that, but then like I don't know how a lineup works when it's Butler, DeRozan, and Adebayo together in terms of spacing. Like they should be. I still think they they should they should keep their eyes open. I mean that that Iguodala move ended up being such a such a big move for them because of Crowder. Mm. Uh, so like I feel like they'll be in the market. Definitely, for they, sure. My, Miami all Miami always on the market, but you know you got to be willing to give up something to get something. You know, like they 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 were in the market for Dane. They hard. You know, they were in the market for Bradley Beal, but and they could be one of those teams that. I think DeMar DeRozan would fit extremely well on, but who are you willing to give up? Because I truly believe if San Antonio makes that move, they're definitely going to want a shooter in return back or a young player, such as maybe Hero, if not Duncan Robinson. Yeah. You know, and, and, they, and they, the Heat are very high on their homegrown talent. Yeah. They don't let too many of their homegrown <clears throat> talent pieces just up and leave for, for little to nothing. And I don't believe that Pat, is seeking to make a move for a 30-year-old when he has all these, this young talent around him at, at the same time with the vet leader and Jimmy already there. Miami's in a real rough spot, man. In a real rough spot, especially when you got an executive like Pat who's been there for over 25-plus years and he's getting up there in age. And, you know, I, I, I truly believe last year might have been his last run getting to the championship. Even though I know he's a guy that you can't ever count out, but it's it's Miami's in a real tough spot. It's weird because yeah, they were just there last year, but as you mentioned, he's very you know you got to be aware of like your window now, but also that you know Tyler Hero could be in the All Star game in a few years, you know, and you know Duncan Robinson could turn into you know. A, I mean, he's already kind of a poor man's Clay Thompson offensively. He's not bringing that prowess necessarily defensively, but like that's one of the best catch and shoot options in the NBA, and um, somebody who's just so elite off the ball. And so, yeah, you don't want to necessarily take that apart because it would be short sighted. Now, if they can find a way to get Kyle Lowry uh, in the fold without breaking up that younger core. Uh, and obviously you don't want to give up Jimmy, but you know, if you can find a way to get him on that squad without losing bam, Butler, uh, hero, 
or Duncan Robinson, it's almost like you got to do it. You know, I mean, Adam, Adam, let's be real. We know like it doesn't matter about none hero and, and Robinson. We know who the best young player on that team is, and it's Max Struess. Oh, I mean, like, come God. on. Like, Struess we know Struess. who's going to be the best of all those guys. It's going to be Struess. Like, oh, my goodness. You got to give up. If you got to give up Harrow and, and all these guys to get Lowry, you do it. And then get Max Struess at that in that starting lineup. <laughs> yeah. If, if y'all didn't know, listening, we all went to DePaul. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on uh, disappointment, COVID luck, anything else before we move to conference finals predictions? I'm going to just add to Sacramento King okay. just for the simple fact that, granted, I, I never expected them to be a playoff team. And I understand they have an uphill battle to climb, you know, going up against teams like the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Warriors in that Pacific division, which to me is the toughest division in the, in the Western Conference outside the Southwest. But I just want to know what direction are they going in or seeking to go in, especially under Luke Walton. Luke this Walton, team, hasn't, know, like, he hasn't done anything, and yeah, he's on his it, third year. Like, dude, if it, if you're going to give somebody that long, at least yeah. some result, get him out. Get especially, him out. Like, especially when you consider what happened three years prior, before they hired Luke under Dave Yeager, where they were on the cusp of getting into the playoffs. And he really had that team clicking and gelling well offensively. And now they've gone from being one of, like, the top teams in pace to, you know, middle of the pack. And and now, like, they have one of the worst defenses of all times uh, on pace to have the worst defense ever. And, and when you watch games, it's like I'm looking at pieces that could fit well in other places. But what does this mean for the young talent that they seek to – grow over there, De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hill, who has played very well, but his role has been fluctuated. Like, is he a starter one minute? It makes me wonder, is he a guy coming off your bench as a six-man? I just really I, wonder where are they trying to go long-term? Heald has got to get out of there, too. Like, he, he needs to go somewhere else. Because, like, honestly, like, Halliburton's going to push him out if he doesn't go somewhere else. And They're going to have that Bogdanovich situation I, all over I, again. I, I, I agree, but how many guys are you going to push out of Sacramento? Think about this, man. Like, Sacramento hey, had – I think it'd be good Sacramento, It'd be good for Heal to get out of Sacramento. But but think about this too, though, boss. Like, Sacramento has had so much talent come through there. Like, I remember a period of time in 2009-10, they had DeMarcus Cousins, Hassan Whiteside, Isaiah Thomas, and Tyreek Evans. Now, granted, Tyreek, after he averaged 25 five his rookie year, he got hurt, dealt with injuries and so forth, you know, really had a, a tough sled going down the road in his NBA career. Isaiah Thomas became an MVP candidate in Boston. You know, you let him walk for, for little to nothing. Then you want to pay the man. Sign Whiteside, you know, you dump him. And Marcus Cuz, you don't even build a formidable team around this guy. He was a well-respected guy amongst his peers. You can say whatever you want to say about the way he played, his attitude and so forth when he was there, and, and question his professionalism if you want. But he was a dominant force there. And you don't even get to the playoffs with a guy like that. He was getting the multiple all-star appearances in a Kings uniform. I just I, – I don't know what's going on over there. And I always have had questions, but I really do now, especially since they have the longest playoff drought um, among all teams in NBA. You know, I remember over the summer, there were uh, whispers in the winds about, you know, maybe the Denver Nuggets looking to grab uh, Buddy. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe try to put some sort of package around Gary Harris, Bull Bull, RJ Hampton, something like that, you know, because the Nuggets got some assets. Uh, RJ Hampton, you know, he's, he's a project, but he could be real good. Um, and, and the buddy, the thing about buddy healed is he's so damn fast, you know, uh, obviously, you know, everyone talks about the three point shooting and everything, but like, he could be a team that really helps and he's a serviceable defender as well. And so it's interesting. Yeah. Because like, I don't know, man, I'm always, I, I, I'm a Luke Walton fan probably because I'm a Bill Walton fan, you know, but yeah, I don't think, I think this is his last year coaching. And I think he's going to be an assistant somewhere again. Maybe he'll go back to Golden State. But did you all see the report in the Athletic where they were saying that, like, the Kings are still seeking to remain patient with him? Now, no. I do believe him. I, I, I will take, you know, Paige and that front office over there for their word. However, I want to see how long that lasts, especially if another loser streak you know, occurs. I, I saw the game on Sunday night recently before the All-Star break when they played Charlotte Hornets. They had that game right in the back and they and they lost just due to poor execution and, and mishaps down the stretch. I mean, you can say the same thing for what they did Thursday night against Portland, where it's like, yeah. you know, you, you have it, you have a chance to beat a, a playoff team and then they, they start, they, they decide that they're going to put Corey Joseph on Damian Lillard for the last 10 oh. minutes of that game. Oh, and no. every time, every time there's a screen, Corey Joseph is, you know, freaking, I, I don't know if he's like run into a wall or something. He can't see where he's going. But then Damian Lillard scores 14 points in the fourth quarter. The last two minutes, he's hitting three after three after three. I don't understand. Why would you have, why, why do you have Corey Joseph guarding Damian Lillard? <laughs> Granted, who else is going to do it? Yeah. But like still, I mean, like, too. They, they, no, 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 they, they didn't try to make any changes. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it, it's like, it's the so, same story with them for, what, like 17 years now? Almost like they have a historic years. defense, you <laughs> yeah. know? <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, any other, any other thoughts uh, on, on any of this before we move into uh, award front, or I'm sorry, uh, conference finals predictions then? All right. All right. In that case, um, I'll go ahead and get us started on this one uh, out east. 